Uh, good morning, church. Good to see all of you. Uh, two things before I get rolling. How many of you really noticed the kids singing today? You know, I don't usually use this for um, this term a whole lot, but talk about blessing my heart. I don't. That was amazing. Um, and the other thing too is um, there's a there's a guy in our church who does some amazing things and. Um, He's going to hate this. That's all right. But would you would you thank Pastor Dan for what he does? Yeah. Well, uh, last week I started um, this kind of two part series talking about the difference between two big ideas. Um, Jason, why don't you take over for me on the on the screen. Um, two great big ideas. It's this idea between fitting in and belonging. And, um, and I just kind of want to revisit that for, for a second uh, because I think it's, it's important. Um, belonging is that feeling I have when I'm with a group of people and I can be myself. I just, I just be who I am. Fitting in, on the other hand, is when I have to be like you. See the difference? And I, when, I, when I learned that, so many things just kind of fell into place for me personally and some past experiences that I've had, and I, I suspect you, um, you have too. And, and so let me just make two quick comments. First of all, when we started Thrive, one of our objectives, one of the things that we really wanted to kind of bake into the DNA was that we would be a place that would be, would be real, meaning that we would deal with reality. And that we would just kind of lose this mask of, I'm okay, you're okay, we're all okay, okay? Right? I just, I'm tired of that. I don't have time for it. We need to get beyond just the, the pleasant, pleasantries. And look, I understand there, there are people who don't want to go deep, and, and I, I get that, and I, I understand. But, but here's the thing, is that the way I hope our church is, is that that's not going to be a good fit for you. <laughs> that makes sense. I don't want you to fit in. I want you to actually belong. And, and the reason for that is that some of us came out of an environment that didn't want that kind of reality. And, and some of you have experienced that as well. I know because I've, I've heard your stories. And the second thing I want to say is that do we want it to be real, and do we want the sense of belonging? The answer is absolutely yes. And I think we also have to recognize that there's stuff that we need to work on too, right? I mean, if we're completely honest with ourselves and the people around us, we all enter any kind of relationship with someone with certain habits, with certain hurts, with certain hang-ups. You like that alliteration right there? They all start with H, right? But it's true that we all have this baggage that we bring into any kind of relationship that we're in. There's stuff that's happened to us. And so you've heard me say this before. You're going to continue to hear me say this is come as you are. Oh, my gosh, come as you are. But, but don't stay that way. There's hope and there's healing, and that's what, what Jesus offers us. And so on the one hand, we kind of want this authenticity. I don't know what else to call it, where we can, we can, we can know and be known with the people around us. Um, and on the other hand, we all have these things, this stuff inside of us that actually keep us from belonging. 
Does that make sense? There's two sides of this. There's the organization, there's the church, and then there's also the individual. And so we want it to be a place of belonging, but sometimes people enter into the relationship where it's difficult for them to belong. And I understand that. It's kind of like this spectrum where, where we have this, this idea of God's dream for each person, and on the other side is doesn't play well with others, right? And most of us fall somewhere on that spectrum. And I think that's the reality that we want to deal with, is that, yes, we want to be a place of belonging, but on the other hand, there's stuff that we all carry with us. And, and here's the thing. I'm going to put all my cards on the table. I'm just going to tell you right up front what I'm dealing with today is that in all my years of ministry, and I've been doing this for a little while, the number one issue, the thing that I find is the barrier between people more than anything else is a single issue. It's shame. It's shame. And I think that... Um, when we talk about it, we all understand that's not fun. It's painful. It makes us uncomfortable. When we start talking about shame, we all shift a little uncomfortable in our seats, and I get that too. But look, if we want some kind of authenticity, we have to talk about hard things, okay? Because that's reality. The reality is we all have the junk. We all live this life. There are things that happen to us. There are choices that we make that we're not really proud of, and we all have these things that are inside of us that keep us from belonging. And frankly, it's easier to talk about external things. It's easier to talk about the culture or politics or whatever the issue is. Currently, whatever the problem is du jour, we can talk about the external problem. It's harder to talk about the junk in our own souls. But the fact of the matter is, is that if we want to see real change in the world, you start right here. You start with your own junk, and you deal with that with the presence of God, and you allow that to shape you, inform you, and then you begin to see change. And if you have more people doing that, it begins to widen. And whenever I talk about stuff like that, get this impression that that's kind of what Jesus meant when he said the kingdom of God. Remember the whole city on a hill thing and the light and you can't ignore it? Yeah. Now, often when we use this term shame, we uh, will use it interchangeably with guilt. And what I want to say is that's close, but no cigar. Okay? There's a difference between shame and guilt. And here it is. Guilt is remorse for something that we've done. Shame is remorse for who I am. Guilt is an, is an activity, and shame is about identity. Does this make sense? There's a big difference between feeling guilty for something that I've done and feeling shame for who I am. And so here's one definition of shame. Shame is the intensely painful feeling or experience of believing that we are flawed and therefore unworthy of love and belonging. That's one definition. I've heard others, but I kind of like this one. And here's the thing that you have to understand. Shame is universal. 
It is an emotion that all of us have, which begs a whole bunch of interesting questions. Like, why would God put that in us? And I want to be careful that, that, I, that I distinguish between two things. There is shame, the emotion that we feel, the, the lighter version is embarrassment. And that's not such a bad thing, because when we feel embarrassed, it reminds us that we're only human and that we're not God. That's not what I'm talking about, this kind of shame. I am talking about toxic shame. This intense, painful feeling that somehow I don't belong. That I am unworthy of love. That's the kind of shame that we're talking about. And we all have it. And here's the thing. We're all afraid to talk about it. Nobody wants to talk about their shame. Nobody wants to talk about the things that embarrassed them in the past. Nobody wants to talk to them about the heaping types of feelings they have of inadequacy or, or unworthiness. But here's the important thing to remember. The less we talk about it, the more shame has control over us. You must understand that. That if you keep it hidden, that's when the problems really begin to mount up. So um, last week I introduced you to Brene Brown. Um, here she is again. She made this comment that shame keeps worthiness away by convincing us that owning our story will lead to people thinking less of us. Shame is all about fear. We're afraid that people won't like us if they know the truth about who we are. <laughs> That's an interesting statement. You know, sometimes I think we believe that shame is for the people who are traumatized, that they've experienced this, and that's true. But I want to I want to submit to you that it is ubiquitous. It is quite common. It is subtle, and very often it is instantaneous. Maybe um, something's happened, and these words have run through your mind. What will people think? No one can ever find out about fill in the blank. Taking care of them is more important than taking care of me. And almost always, almost always, shame says, I'm not enough. I'm not good enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not pretty enough. I'm not talented enough. I'm not enough. And also shame will say, who do you think you are? Who do you think you are to be saying this or doing that. Who do you think you are? Which is really about being enough, right? Very often, I'm not enough, and who do you think you are will be in our heads as a voice from our past. And you hear it over and over. I call them recordings or tapes that continually play again and again and again. It shows up in very familiar places. And, and, and maybe some of these will resonate with you. Um, it can show up in, in body image and appearance. Parenting. <laughs> Work and money, especially for guys. It's a big one. Addictions. Religion. Really? Yeah. And it strikes me as I was writing this that the events taking place on Capitol Hill this week may have brought up some shameful feelings 
in, uh, in women today, even in our own congregation. Can we just be honest about that? We get this sense that other people's experience, I identify with that and all of what's happening. And I don't care what your politics are. I don't care. The problem is we have actual human beings who have been hurt. And as a church, if we don't talk about that, who is going to talk about it? If they know the truth about us, this is really funny. If they know the truth about us, if they know the truth about us, and they wouldn't like us, if they wouldn't, here's the problem. Most of us don't even know ourselves. Does that make sense? I mean, we're worried about what other people think. We don't even know who ourselves are. Maybe that's part of the problem, because if we knew who ourselves was, and we wouldn't worry too much about what other people think. I'm just saying. And shame is rooted in fear, always. It's rooted in fear that others will also think the worst of what we already believe about ourselves. I'm not good enough. I'm not worthy enough. Who do I think I am? Shame. The voice of shame. Fear. Seems to me that somewhere I've read in the Bible something about fear. I know in one case, um, I've heard God say things like, don't be afraid. Seems like whenever angels show up, they got to tell people, don't be afraid. There's also the be strong and courageous. Remember that one? find that one all over the Old Testament. Be strong and courageous. In fact, I remember reading somewhere that that's the single most common command that God gives. <laughs> hmm. That might be a clue. Be strong and courageous. And there's one other. There's one other that really strikes me. One other. And, and, and I think you've heard it or you've read it. It's in 1 John. It's in the New Testament. 1 John chapter 4 to be exact. If you don't have a Bible, that's okay. I'm going to put it up on the screen for you. Here it is, 1 John chapter 4, verse 18. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. Actually, the word here is judgment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. Why? Huh. Why? There's no fear in love. In fact, perfect love drives out fear. Why? Because of punishment. Fear means that we're not made perfect in love. Now, this is troublesome. There's, there's, I've got to be honest. This is confusing here, okay, because of this word perfect, right? Because I'm telling you right now, there are people in the crowd who are perfectionists that are going, oh, crap. You know who you are, too, right? Those you who are perfectionists. Wait a minute. i got to be perfect about this, too? Great. No, 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 no. Time out, time out, time out. We need to understand what this word means. Do I have to be perfect? No, you don't have to be perfect. In fact, far from it. The word in Greek is telos. T-E-L-O-S. Telos. And the word means completion or fullness. You see where you can get perfect out of that, but it kind of muddies the waters a little bit. 
And so if we look at this, there is no fear in love, but complete love, full love, drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made complete in love, is not made full in love. Do you see the difference here? It's not about being perfect. That's just your shame talking all over again. It's about being complete, filled up. Completed love drives out fear. One who fears is not completed in love. And so fear means that we need more divine love. Do you see that? So the big question in my mind is, well, now wait a minute. How? How do I get there? How do I get that complete love? What does that mean? How do I understand that? I know, maybe you don't ask that question, but I'm like, if the Bible's going to say it, it better give me a way to do it. It might have to give me some kind of pathway to get there. Otherwise, it's just empty words. Well, here's the beautiful part. You've got to go back a verse. So looking at uh, verse 17, it says, God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment, right? In this world, we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with judgment or punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. Are you beginning to see how this fits together? Just a little bit. It's fascinating that ultimately this idea of how we get more divine love is to be like Jesus. Isn't that what it says there? In this world, we are like Jesus. We imitate him. In Greek, it means as he is, so are we. Right? As Jesus is, not was, is, so are we in this world. We imitate him. We're like him. When you begin to imitate Jesus, when you follow the things he teach and begin to practice them, it's amazing how you begin to change. So now, where do you start? Where, where do you start with all of this? Where, where do you start imitating Jesus, where does this process start? How do I know that I'm moving down the right path? Again, I'm, I want this kind of completed love. I don't know about the rest of you, but that's what I want, and I want to know how to get there. Well, here's the interesting thing. You've got to go back another verse. Surprise, surprise. Verse 15 and 16. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them and they in God. And so we know and rely on the, love of the, on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God, in God and them. This is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. So it all starts at one point. The word here, acknowledge, means to confess, means to say it out loud. Acknowledge that Jesus is the Son of God. Now here's the thing, and I, I want you to track this with me because I think this is really important. We know that there's something wrong with the world, right? I mean, we know this. 
This is, this, is, this is empirically evident in the world that we live in. Not just on a large scale or a global scale, we all feel it personally. But the fact of the matter is, the, the very notion that God sent his son means he loves us. He make, makes a way for us. Because wouldn't, wouldn't it be easier just to not do anything at all and let the whole thing destroy itself? Genesis chapter 1 and 2. God made the world. He looked upon it and said it was not only good, but it was very good, right? The Creator has an, an obligation, a commitment to His creation to not allow it to stay messed up. And so Jesus begins to put things to rights. And he starts with individual souls. Do you see this? The fact that God sent Jesus to begin to put the world to right is evidence of his love for us. And so if we confess that Jesus is the Son of God, the one that God sent, that's what gets the whole ball rolling. Are you with me? Are you tracking? This is powerful stuff. This is about perfect love. This is about complete love. This is about a God who loves us completely. And, I, and if you've not heard this before, I don't want you to leave without you understanding this. There is nothing that you can do to make God love you less. There is nothing you can do to make God love you more because he already loves you telos, completely, wholly, fully. Does that make sense? That kind of love means you don't have to worry about judgment and fear because the ultimate judgment and fear is taken care of. Happened on a cross, by the way, if you didn't know that. All of that is taken care of. And sometimes I think we need to remind ourselves of that. And this is why I think discipleship is so important. Wesley used to, uh, John Wesley used to talk about this idea, and um, someday I'll illustrate this, but he said, he said, what happens is when we become so full of the love that Jesus has for us, when we become so full, it begins to push out shame and sin. Did you hear me? When you become full of the love that God has for us, it begins to shove to the side and out of your life things like sin and shame. Which, by the way, most of the time, the shame that you feel has to do with your, either your sin or somebody else's sin. Okay? This is kind of the genesis of the whole thing. But when, you, when you're filled with the love of Christ, love of God in your heart, it begins to push those things out. And I think Wesley was right with that. And so if you, want, if you want to tackle shame, you have to chase after God. You actually have to find time to be with Him. And, and I mean that more than just sitting down and praying and reading your Bible. That's a great place to start. But it's really about spending time with God and asking God some hard questions, going, God, I've got this junk. What do I do with it? Now, of course, um, while love is being made complete in us, while we're 
becoming more like Jesus when we're trying to imitate him, um, you know what? We still have to deal with our own shame, don't we? We still got to deal with this stuff. What do you do when it all hits the fan? <laughs> That's a great question. So we have to understand some things. Shame loves and grows in silence, secrecy, and judgment. Shame grows. It loves silence, secrecy, and judgment. This is one of the reasons why I am such a big fan of the whole Me Too movement. Time's up. Gotta talk about it. We can't be silent about it. We can't keep it in secret. And we can't worry about being judged for it. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. Shame cannot survive empathy. Shame cannot survive empathy when we empathize with one another. And I really like um, uh, Brene Brown offers this. She says, you have to name it. You gotta call it what it is. You have to call shame, shame. That's not fun. Can I just say that? When you find that trigger and that shame building up inside of you and you're just feeling ick and it's this, I wanna just crawl in a hole, I wanna die, whatever it happens to be for you, is just let's call it what it is, it's shame. And so you actually have to notice it and you have to acknowledge that that's what you're feeling. And you know what, that's self-awareness. And so awareness is hard work, but we have to understand that about ourselves if we want to be free of it. Then she says, you got to talk about it. <laughs> Yay, I get to talk about the things that make me feel shameful. Great. But that's the point. That's when silence and secrecy cause that stuff to just grow inside of you, and we, we don't want that. And then she says, you have to own your story. Look, we all have our own shame issues. Every one of us. Can we just start there? Can we just start as a church and say, I'm screwed up, so are you. Praise God, we're going to get through this together. I'm, I'm serious. That bugs me more than anything else when we come and pretend that we got it all put together. No, you don't. I know you don't. Because I know I don't have it put together. Now, that doesn't mean I don't have some idea. It doesn't mean that you haven't had some kind of healing in your life. But the point is, is that we live in a fallen and broken world and nobody gets out unscathed. So let's just start there. So you've got to own your story. We all have it. And then you have to tell your story. When it's appropriate, of course, because it may offer hope to another person. Now, this doesn't mean you just... You know, share all your junk, your deepest, darkest secret with any old buddy. I'm not suggesting that. Certain people have earned permission in your life. And you can share it with them. Can I just tell you that the two people who have complete and utter permission to say whatever they want to in my life is my best friend and my wife. And they're two separate people, although my wife is often my best friend, okay? But I have two people. And the reason why they're my best friends and they have the permission is because they already know the shameful stuff about me and they love me anyway, <laughs> right? And so they have that kind of permission and so I can share those things with them. Why? Because I know they're going to empathize. And that's what we need. We need that kind of empathy for one another, even if we don't fully know the entire story. 
But if you don't name it, if you don't talk about it with the right people, and if you don't own it, and you don't, aren't willing to tell your story, it's just silent, it's just secret, and it's your own self-judgment that causes that thing to grow, and it becomes toxic. It's just, ugh. And I, I think that if we want other people to belong, if we want them to be part of this thing that we call Thrive Church, if we want them to be part of this thing that we're, we're calling the kingdom of God, if we really want to help them, if we want to belong ourselves to this church and to each other and to this thing called the kingdom of God, then I think what we really need to do is help each other with our shame. And we start by chasing after the presence of God. Remember, confess that he is Lord. This whole notion in 1 John chapter 4, to imitate him, because that's when love begins to push out all this stuff. Let Jesus fill you with his love so that you can empathize with the battles that other people face. There is nobody sitting next to you that isn't fighting an epic battle right now. You just don't see it. Chase after the presence. I think it's in the presence of God when we, we start feeling those changes, when we start receiving that healing and hope that we really need. And it's that healing and hope that we receive that we can pass on to someone else. It's empathy. Empathy. I don't know where you are today with your issues, but I know you got them. It's okay. I do too. Can I just tell you, as I was writing this, the thought through my head was, is this good enough? I don't have this all worked out either. And I had to go back to the Father this morning, sitting in Panera, sipping my coffee, writing in my journal, is this good enough? And you know what I heard? Be strong and courageous. So I don't know where you are. Um, Pastor James and I, we're going to sit in the back. We'd love to pray with you. No, I take that back. James, I don't think we want to pray with people. I, th I think we're going to pray with them, but I think, I think we want to empathize. That's where we're going to start. And then we're going to pray that you would spend some time with the healer and allow him to do the work that you need to do. Like, I don't, I don't know what your issue is. And I don't, if you don't want to share it, you don't have to. If I've not earned that permission, please don't. But if it's just, hey, I got this thing and I really need, I'm okay with that. You can be as general as you want. I'm still going to empathize and I'm going to pray. Because that's what we do. That's what we do here. And so I invite you to deal with your own junk. <laughs> Yay! But maybe, just maybe, that's going to spark that kind of change in your own life and in the lives of the people around you. And we get rid of the secrecy, we get rid of the silence, and we get rid of the judgment. And I think that's where we find the kingdom of God. <laughs>